0: This is Pastor Mike from Jordan Lutheran Church, and you're about to hear one of our Sunday morning messages. At Jordan, we're passionate about learning from the Bible, and pray that this message makes an impact in your life. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's Matthew Day. Uh, You made it. I know. I know. Be excited about it. Uh, But the neat part is you earned it the right way. You got to Matthew the way God intended. You got there hearing his promises again and again and again. And if you step into Matthew, it's the first book you ever read. Praise God. What an awesome book to start with. Uh, But we got there heading in lots of different uh, directions. Now, for us to understand that Matthew is the fulfillment of prophecy and of writing and teaching, you have read 39 books. But I want to take you just uh, through the front end of things, and I'm going to take you back to our first reading, Isaiah 52. Isaiah 52. Isaiah 52, 13, all the way through the start of 53, even when we studied Isaiah, we called this is called the servant song, the suffering servant. So don't miss this about Jesus. Jesus is what type of servant? Suffering. Many of you have read the entire book of Matthew already, or you're wrapping it up this afternoon. And Matthew reminds us that someone who follows Jesus, the servant is not above the, not above the master. So if Isaiah refers to Jesus as a suffering servant, That's when all the Christians were like, oh, all right. So life isn't going to be just a bed of roses. It won't be. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. These are pictures of what's going to happen to Jesus in his earthly life. But you know how the rest of this story unfolds. See, one of the unique things about preaching and teaching on Matthew, with you having exposure to a lot of it, is you kind of jump ahead. Sometimes you you jump to the end, and you're like, I already know this. I know where it's headed. Pastor, I I could have done this sermon. You should just say, uh, Jesus is alive, and say amen. And then we could go home early, and I could get prepped for the party and lunch that I have. Amen. That's right. Yeah, I knew one person's ready. He was despised and rejected by men, Isaiah writes, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. And that's just the prophet speaking about what's coming. I said those words, and you guys had all these gospel motifs that are flowing in your head. You can't help yourself but draw in Good Friday and Easter and everything. I mean, it's all just flowing in there. You're like, Pastor, you can take this sermon so many different ways. I know. I know. But what I want you to consider as the prophet speaks is to remember that God comes in the flesh and humbles himself. The God who you read in the Old Testament was doing what? Miraculous things. From the flood to the parting of the Jordan River on more than one occasion. Parting of the Sea of Reeds, the Red Sea, as many have drawn it to be as they're coming out of Egypt. All these different moments. Preparing the land of Canaan. All these events. God, even as the kids are learning about the city of Jericho and its walls coming down today as they continue in their study of the scriptures. But two weeks ago, in Zechariah, and last week in Malachi, we heard about blood, and what those prophets told us is that the blood of Jesus was willingly laid down, and that it was to pay the full cost of the trespasses that you and I you and I have done now, some of you are pretty. Linear people. You don't have to I- admit this, but some of you, you function in the world as a linear kind of guy or gal. You like A to be followed by B, and then the next appropriately should be, be honest, C. And if somebody jumps to like F or G, you're like, whoa, we, we, don't, we don't do it that way. So when you hear that Jesus' sacrifice is going to pay for the sins of you and me, You kind of sit there going, hmm, that's not as linear as I'd like it because I'd really like to do something, well, I don't want to do something wrong, but if I do I I want to then, I want then forgiveness to happen right then and I I just want it linear. Well, think about what that means for Isaiah (laughs) because Isaiah is actually preaching and teaching before Jesus is actually incarnate. So for you linear people, your minds are blown because that's not Linear. It's talking about an event that God, at the core, changes all of creation. And here's the cool part. He told you that from the beginning. The whole Old Testament tells you that that was going to happen. How it was going to happen, we were waiting to see. But here you are living today going, All right, so if this cosmic event has happened that changes all things, why am I sitting here today and my body aches? If this cosmic event has happened, why is it that right now I'm praying for one of my best friends who is in hospital? Why is it that I'm sitting here and life isn't all a bed of roses? Paul put it this way in Colossians 3. Some of you are going, where's Matthew? We'll get to him. But if you want to get to Matthew right, you've got to get there the right way. You've got to know what he's given you. Paul frames it this way. You have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. He's speaking of us being Christians. You actually have died. You died in Christ, and your life is, you can read the text, your life's what? hidden. Now we're going to say it one more time because if you forget this, the rest isn't going to make sense. Your life is hidden. You have a hidden life in Christ. The glory and majesty that will be revealed on the final day, but it's hidden. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. See, But when you remember that, all the rest in Matthew is going to unlock and you're going to go, Whoa, this God's good. I'd go one step further. This God is great he is awesome he is majestic and then you start hearing a whole lot of other refrains out of isaiah coming as he's wonderful counselor almighty god i mean so many other things that start to flow uh, from our mouths but hidden glory isn't something a lot of people aspire for (laughs) people don't wake up going i'm going to do some real awesome hidden glory work today Now, you might pretend that you like hidden glory work, but somewhere you're thinking, it's going to be so neat when they notice and tell me thank you. But it's just hidden, you know, because I'm that type of humble person. Someone's coming right now, they're going to notice what I did. And then it happens. They don't even say good morning to you in this awkward moment where they happen to look at their shoelaces you're going by and your whole world's set, and you go from hidden glory to what? Attack mode. And you are set off the whole rest of Sunday morning because, boy, it was only supposed to be hidden for the first three minutes. Because God said stuff gets revealed, and it wasn't revealed quick enough. Well, I want you to think about the hidden glory of what's even taking place right now. That we have volunteers helping to teach Sunday school lessons. To teach a Bible Express lesson right now. We have Sunday school teachers who for years have shown up. And you know what they do? It's going to blow some of you away. You ready? They actually show up around 8 o'clock to teach kids the Bible. And some of you are like, I don't even know how they do it. I mean, wow. 8 o'clock. Who knew about that time? God created at 8 o'clock in the morning? Whoa. I share it with you. Because those teachers, and I mean this about all our teachers, they are not seeking any praise. It is a hidden glory place that will be called upon 20 or 30 years from now when a kid goes, hmm, I wonder. And they will remember what was taught them years ago. That's hidden glory. The hidden glory of a spouse who cares for a mother or father-in-law. It's one thing to care for your parents. It's another to care for your in-laws as they're dying. Completely different. And they do it with love. And they do not, I assure you, come to church going, someone's going to notice and I will be thanked. No, do you know what they do? They come to church going, this is the place that I get fed so I can go back out and do that most glorious of hidden works. Care for someone who was a In many ways, almost adopted into my family. I guess through merit, but just brought into my family. And I love them as my own. Hidden glory. Hidden glory is daily waking up to physical ailments and pain, and yet rejoicing in those who tend to your care. The people who, when I go visit them in the hospital, who when a nurse or attending comes in, they say this. It is so good to see you. Thank you for everything that you do to me. I know I'm not an easy patient. I really appreciate what you're doing. And then when they move them and they wince and they actually yell, I'm sorry, I'm not yelling at you, I'm just yelling at the situation, I appreciate what you're doing. (laughs) Hidden glory, the ability to recognize the person beyond you. That when you're in the bed and you're worried about the person who's coming to care for you, but also recognizing without the person caring, you'd be all alone. Uh, God has us set together. So here's the question, as some of you are wondering. Well, what's going on with Matthew? Matthew's fundamental question is, who is Jesus? That's it. That's the core of the Gospel of Matthew. Who do you say Jesus is? Not someone else. Not what Pastor Mike say. It's actually, what do you as an individual person sitting here at Jordan Lutheran Church do with Jesus Christ? That's his question. The crowning gem at the center of Matthew's narrative, on which the whole rest of the story revolves around, is a question. Matthew 16's high point. Who do people say is the Son of Man? And the answer Elijah, some say Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Then Jesus says, But who do you say? He asked the question so that the disciples would take note of the relationship change that Jesus isn't just teacher and scholar and friend, but there's a whole nother dimension. And it's a dimension that no other relationship that you have ever had in your life has. How many of you have had awesome teachers that you wish you could actually go back and learn from today? Yeah. See, some of us have been blessed with that, where you would actually say, anyone willing to admit you'd listen to that person but no other lecture in the world? Yeah. I, I have a couple people in my life who are like that, like, Lecture's boring, but from a few select people, you're like, man, it's like gummy bears in the mouth, man. It's just like, yeah. And then you look at the jar and you go, whoa. <laughs> and then you ask out loud to the family, someone else been eating gummy bears, right? No, you, you were just enjoying it so much. Matthew 16, verse 16 to 18. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ title. Remember, I say this all the time. If Jesus had a North Carolina-issued driver's license, it would not say Jesus Christ. It just wouldn't. It would say what? Likely. Jesus. Yeah, it might say Jesus of Nazareth. It may also say Jesus bin Joseph, son of Joseph. It would actually kind of identify. uh, The issuing body of driver's licenses in Palestine was not worried about whether he was the Christ or not but we use it as it's a last name. Now, I get it. It's a title. But I share with you, so you don't make it a last name. Make it a title. That's why sometimes you hear people don't say Jesus Christ. They say Christ Jesus. So you don't call him Philip King. You call him King Philip. Now, I just realized the way I did that illustration for you guys, it was backwards because uh, I wasn't thinking. So, yeah, you guys get it. But I'm looking at the face and you're like, he did that wrong. All right, man, stage forward, stage left, I get it. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon, get it? Simon Bar-Jonah. Some English translations take it, Simon, son of Jonah. which is exactly what they're doing. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. It's not about you intellectually assenting to Jesus. You don't do it first. I get there's a vocable. I get that there's confession. It's at the core of who we are. But it's gift. Your ability to make the vocable is gift. And Jesus says it so plainly to Peter. (laughs) Because Peter's known for doing what? Talking. If there's one thing Peter does, he talks. And much like a broken clock, it can be right what? It can be right twice a day. Jesus wanted to make sure you didn't say, oh, Peter struck gold. He said enough things, and he got it. No. He didn't strike gold. He was gifted with faith by God's grace. Not because he did anything right, but because God said, here's the moment I'm using you, Peter, broken vessel. You know the rest of Peter's story. There's lots of broken vessel moments. And God keeps getting out all the glue and puts that pottery back together and heals it right back up and says, go back out. You'd do it differently, wouldn't you? You'd fix the pottery, and then you'd put it in a curio cabinet, and you'd put it in the house and say, never touch it again, kids. Jesus doesn't do that with us. He fixes it up and says, all right, pottery, go back out into the traffic. And you guys are going, curio cabinet, curio cabinet, do it. It's just safer. But God actually wants you to be out in the world living and breathing, doing what is taking place around us and seeing it. So it's Confession. What do we do with Jesus? Confessions at its core. Peter speaks and God says, blessed are you. It's a gift. I've given it to you. And then you get this unique thing. You ready? It's kind of weird. Then he strictly charges the disciples, tell no one he's the Christ. And so we have an evangelism theme to move for in our coming year. You guys all know Jesus is the Christ. Strictly, tell no one. Do you know what would be funny about it, actually? Some of you are thinking it. It's weird. You know what you're thinking? I am going to upset Pastor. I'm going to go tell two people. Hmm. Yeah, I'm going to do it. Because he told me not to. Here, Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or they tell everybody. It's, it's a unique thing. Now, remember, as many have looked at this passage, what you have is Jesus has told them, but he's still got work to do. So this is not your evangelism key text to run on. It's not. I'm joking with you on it a bit, but Jesus has something else. He says, I need you to not get focused on that because we get ahead of ourselves, right? When someone goes, hey, we're going to go on vacation this summer. And then you do what? for the Where? When are we going? How many things are we going to do? Who are we inviting? How much money will we have? What dinners are we going to? I've been planning it out. It'll be great. Uh, dear, you need to go to work. It's, it's Monday. Oh, right. And it's also September. I know, but I thought we were just talking about next summer's vacation." Then he strictly charged the disciples, tell no one. It's a different change because God's got other things to do. Why? Because we get so wrapped up. Remember Zechariah? As Zechariah was preaching, one of the things that that prophet told us was the people got focused on Darius. So Cyrus had set things out, and he had told them, you can go back to Jerusalem. And they're like, sweet. And then Darius comes and like, you know what? This earthly king thing, I think Darius might now follower. He may be the promised one. And they get so focused on the earthly, they actually forgot to live their life. Colossians 3, 3, and 4, hidden in Christ. Because Christ isn't just an earthly reality uh, that occurs around that time of 0 to 33 AD. Christ is a promise that was known from Adam and Eve all the way through to the end of time. And the moment you start to realize that, things unlock. He strictly told them, I've still got stuff to do. I don't want you losing your focus on the fact that it's about telling people what's Jesus up to. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom is moving right now. So praise God. Praise God that he doesn't lose his focus. Because it could happen so quickly here, right? They hear that he's the Christ, son of the living God. Boom, they start building things. Remember the Mount of Transfiguration? What happened there? Hey, Jesus, don't leave. We're going to build three booths. It'll be great. We'll stay up here forever. And one of the Gospels even tells us a neat little addendum, right? Peter said this because he had no idea what was actually going on. He just just said this because he wanted to do it. But Jesus doesn't stop. And about the ninth hour, on that cross outside of Jerusalem, on the ninth hour, Jesus cries out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, today in Matthew is all about what do you do with Jesus? It's about confession. It's about speaking. He is the Christ. And at this moment, Jesus from the cross, God in the flesh, cross out and says, why have you forsaken me? Why? Because at this moment, God the Father pulls back, pulls back from Jesus. In a moment that as a human, your mind is about to be blown, if you're trying to process with me, because somehow God the Father separates from God the Son. A God that we confess is one God, three persons, not three distinct, but what? One person, three, Athanasian Creed day. Some of you are like, oh, the long creed. Right, you're with me. The long creed day that tells us he's all together, but he separates, he's forsaken. Why? Because God cannot be around what? Sin. And at that moment, the sin of the world is laid on Christ's shoulders. And God the Father says, I'm stepping back because I can't be near what's happening. But it was all part of the plan. That there would be one to carry that weight. One to take it. One to take your sins and mine. And even that silly, stupid thing you're going to do on Thursday. He died for that too. All of you are now worried about Thursday. I feel pretty comfortable saying you'll do something stupid on Thursday. Because God's law is that bold in telling us. But I also feel comfortable telling you that something bad will happen on Thursday because I can tell you another great thing. God loves you today on Sunday regardless of what you do on Thursday. He loves you because he's adopted you and made you his own. He loves you today, and he knows about Thursday. Some of you are really getting worried about Thursday. Don't, because now you're focusing on the wrong thing, the very thing Jesus was trying to get the disciples not to focus on. Don't tell them I'm the Christ because I still have to do the work that I'm set to do. Don't get wrapped up in what isn't there. But I told you today is all about confession. And it's interesting how the confessions unfold in Matthew. The ascending action that moves to Peter's confession in Matthew 16 as we get to the end, the disciples are all there wondering who he is. They're gathering in trials in different places, and Peter's kind of watching, only checking to make sure that his hide's safe at that point. And when Moses' things are bad, Peter kind of runs off and denies Christ three times. But we get in Matthew this unique piece. The who do you say that I am echoes right at the end of Matthew. Matthew 27, 54. Following Jesus' crucifixion, following his cry out on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The events that transpire as the earth darkens and so many cosmic events happen at that moment, so many things, this conjuncture, that God had this all perfectly timed and planned. Then the centurion, which means what? A Roman who's in charge of 100 soldiers. More than likely he's a what, ladies and gentlemen? Gentile. Not of the house of Abraham, not of God's chosen people, but Matthew includes this. Then the centurion and those who were with him, kind of neat that Matthew says. Not just the centurion, the centurion and those who were with him which probably means fellow guards those who are gathered, a large group keeping watch over Jesus saw the earth and what took place they, they, not just the centurion they were filled with awe neat use of the word all, some they're struck with awe this reverent fear and amazement and said truly this was the son of God Matthew started with us trying to aim towards confession. Who do you say that I am? And we watch it go to his nearest disciples as they start to understand, and they make sure the disciples realize it was a gift of God. Imagine what it would be like for that centurion to have been assigned to watch another crucifixion. It was a duty. It was something that they did on that day. He was in charge, but God had timed it perfectly that that centurion was assigned to that crucifixion. And in seeing the events that unfold before that centurion's eyes, his life would change. His life would change forever because he witnesses the telos, the end, the culmination of God's work that he said from the beginning that one would come to correct it, and he professes with his mouth, this is truly, this was the son of God. And that's the joy of the gospel, the gospel that brings the message, not just to those who find their way into a church on Sunday, but the God who reaches out and touches people who gather in houses of worship to celebrate and who go out to confess and to share. Truly, this was the son of God. Amen. We're glad you've connected with us online and look forward to the opportunity to see you in person on behalf of everyone at Jordan. We hope you will join us as we gather in worship of our Savior Jesus Christ every Sunday morning at 9.30 at Beaver Creek Cinemas in the Peak of Good Living, Apex, North Carolina.